girl Kendra DM and welcome to the Kendra DM Patient Project where patient and purpose collide. This week, guys, I want to talk about a very sensitive topic. Um, and I just want to preface by saying, like, I am not being insensitive to the feelings and desires of individuals who um identify um in the lgbtq lifestyle right that is not the intent of this i'm not intending to be dismissive to their feelings um or to diminish or belittle how they feel right however i do believe this is an important topic that god wants me to speak about um and so the title of today's podcast is is gender fluid okay um, and the more and more that I sit back, right, and I listen to the arguments and stories of those in the LGBTQ lifestyle or community, what is becoming very apparent to me is that when they say that gender is fluid, what they are really saying or what they really mean is being human is fluid, right? Um, I recently saw a post on social media um, that said... There are over 50 gender identities, yet when someone gets um, a gender reassignment surgery, right, there are only two options, right? And I just thought that this post was kind of funny because it points out the flaws in the conversation or the arguments around gender, right? Um, and the fact that there are indeed only two genders, right, no matter which way we chop it up, yet there are many forms of self-expression within those two genders, right? So like I said, gender itself is not fluid. However, being human is, right? So the issue um, is that we have these man-made, you know, social constructs that define masculinity and what it is to be feminine, right? Um, and they're done in such a restrictive way that doesn't allow men or women to um experience the full gambit of what it is to um really be human right within those two gender identities right um what i mean is um men have been told that if they show any emotions right they are acting soft right like they're implying that maleness right it should be totally devoid of being sad or hurt or depressed or embarrassed right like those emotions don't apply to men you're right right but growing up right they begin to learn to conceal these natural human emotions right they belong to all humans right and then women right we have been told right that we must be soft to be truly feminine right and if we don't um fit into certain gendered stereotypes like like in the color pink or like in flowers and other frilly things or wearing dresses right and being you know like the sex symbol and sexy right and being attractive to males right there's something is wrong with us right like if we don't subscribe to these gender stereotypes right and we're also told right that it doesn't include being assertive or confrontive right and simply like advocating for yourself right um without being labeled the b-word right like if you are those things you exude those things you're titled the b-word right and so you know we're told based off of whether we conform or not whether we're embodying what it is to be truly female right um, and so now I must say this, that over the last several decades, I do believe that there have been some strides on behalf of women, right? And we have been granted some room to like stretch our wings out and become more vocal and expressive, um, in ways that we hadn't before, right? Previously. Um, however, I don't believe that men have been granted that same, um, ability to flex their masculinity, um, and they have not been given the grace to grow and show the full gambit of what it is to be a male and human, right? Um, and I believe part of the issue is that the Christian community has waited way too long to address these social constructs that are not biblically sound, right? 
And so because we failed to answer them, the enemy began to give solutions, right? But here's the thing. Those in the LGBT community, they too um, don't realize it, but they have also begun to subscribe to these gendered stereotypes, right? Because in an attempt to grasp um, the parts of their identity, right, that didn't align or didn't fit in the subscribe boxes, right, that were assigned to their biological gender, right, at birth, they begun to think that that meant, okay, I must identify with the other gender, right? Which, like I said, now you're still playing into gender stereotypes. You're just saying, okay, I'm not the girly girl. I'm not frilly. I don't like dresses. Um, I don't want to be a sex object to men, right? And I feel more like I exude more masculine energy, right? And some men who feel like, oh, I'm more feminine. I'm more emotional, right? Um, I don't necessarily like sports, right? I'm more into fashion or artsy things i'm more of a creative right that means maybe i'm um need to align more with femininity or um embrace womanhood so that i can embrace these parts of who i am right um because otherwise i won't be fully accepted and be able to express myself so this is what i'll do right then we also have to acknowledge that there is an attack on masculinity in and of itself, right? And it has made males feel like there's something wrong with being male, right? And therefore, being a male who um, owned his masculinity and his call, right, to be a leader and a provider and a protector was kind of deemed like, oh, you're controlling, you're, you're, you know, and it was a whole a scheme, of, scheme of the enemy to get men to abandon their posts, right, and leave women and children uncovered, right? And all we got to do is ask Adam and Eve how that went the last time a man abandoned his post, right? Because there is a certain hierarchy that God created, right? But we're not even going to get all the way into that, right? But one of the tricks of the enemy is effeminate men right because it helps to destroy the design of god right now one thing like i can say personally is like growing up right none of my interests were ever assigned to a gender right when i wanted to join the basketball team nobody like you know told me oh you must be gay like basketball is for boys right and up until like 10th grade my favorite color was blue right like and ironically when i went to 10th grade um i started to like the color pink of my own volition right i just started liking it but when my favorite color was blue nobody said oh you must be gay because that's a boy color right um, and so I was given that freedom to express myself, right? When I was assert assertive or being confident, nobody questioned my identity, right? Like I didn't live this gendered life where I could only do certain things, right? I hung out a lot with boys. I would watch rap DVDs and I could rip a whole mixtape, right? Word for word. And nobody would give me the side eye, right? Because I also always had like a girly side to me. So I guess I didn't leave much to question, but still... I was still given the ability to express things or enjoy things that were typically aligned with being boys, right? However, many of us have seen this happen, right? Many of us have witnessed this, right? Where a little boy likes to dance or play with dolls and do his sister's dolls' hairs, right? Um, and people making a little comment about him being sweet. Or little girls who like to go outside and they want to play basketball and you know, football and like more rough, right? Like you just see like she a little bit more rough around the edges, right? And she gets labeled a tomboy, right? And so what ended up happening is like people started stealing identity from children, right? Before they had the time to form it, right? Before they had a, a chance to explore who they were. And there's this thing called the psychosocial theory of development, right? And it was developed by Eric Erickson, right? And within this, we see the identity is formed over the lifespan, right? Um, with each stage providing critical points of reference for future development, right? So we're going to begin with infancy, right? So during infancy, which according to this psychosocial um, model of development, includes the ages of infancy all the way to two years old. During this phase, several things take place, right? They contribute 
to the identity development um, of an individual, right? So emotional development takes place during this time too, right? This is the child's ability to recognize, express, um, and regulate their emotions, right? However, what we all know is that children are sponges, right? We know this, right? They pick up everything we do. So this stage is greatly influenced also by the culture that the child is being raised in and around, right? And also the adult-child interactions that they um, experience during this time, right? And a tool that they use um, in forming identity and emotional intelligence during this time is called social referencing, right? And social referencing referencing is when the child observes and synthesizes the emotional cues of those around them, right? So they're looking and watching what you're doing and then they're taking it in and then reproducing what they see, right? And so the child um, begins to develop their own behavior based off of these things. So if they're growing up in a house where people use profanity um, um, to express their anger and frustration, or the very volatile in their household, the child begins to believe that this is the proper way to express their emotions, right? Like, this is how I express when I feel this way. Um, and this directly impacts how a child will behave, right? If the child is in this environment where bad behavior is celebrated, they will continue to um, repeat that behavior, right? So let's just say, example, um, little Pootie, right? He curses, right? And everybody in the house, they laugh and they're like, oh my God, you see that? Ha ha ha. He has just received positive reinforcement, right? Which the maladaptive behavior has now been praised, which means he's going to continue to do it, right? Now, this works both ways. If he receives a negative response for that behavior, right, he will become, he will come to understand that the authority figures were not pleased, and then he will try another behavior, right, to get the love and praise that he is um, seeking from those figures, right? And like I said, I'm breaking this all down because we're going somewhere, even though we weren't talking about behavior, but just how things are um, developed and formed over the lifespan, right? Now, let's take a trip over to toddlerhood, right? Now, at this stage, um, this is where gender identity begins to develop, right? And this happens somewhere between the ages of two and three years old, right? This is when gender identity begins to um, form and it's not usually well defined until the age of six right however we know that um they now try to argue that gender identity may continue throughout the lifespan right but that's up for debate <laughs> um but during this stage right one of the main ways that children begin to become aware of their gender is simply by parental and other authority figures like pointing out and um correctly labeling their genitalia right so you have a penis you have a vagina right however we also learned right we just learned that children are also using what we call social referencing right so they may just begin to observe the differences between mom and dad right and they begin to realize like Oh, you know, there are some similarities to one parent and then there are some differences, right, with the other parent. And so, you know, just by social referencing and watching, right, they begin to formulate their gender identity by what they observe, right? So what happens when the adults in the child's life, right, buy the little girl a bunch of dolls and she rather play with her brother's toys, right, his football and action figures or video games, right? Or what happens when the little boy picks up a doll, right? And he wants to hold the doll, but instead is scolded and told to put that down because that's gay or I don't want you to be gay, right? Um, children during these early stages should actually be encouraged to play outside of the gendered expectations, right? Because one day boys will become fathers, right? And what harm will it cause if he learns how to nurture, right? And calling him gay, right? It has so many negative uh, connotations, but the biggest one is not that they'll be gay, right? It's putting in the false belief 
right? That being a nurturer is bad, right? And that being involved in child rearing is not meant for men because that's the wrong messaging, right? Because men need to learn how to be fathers, right? And the girl who loves outdoorsy things, it just doesn't always equate to being a lesbian, right? So we have to stop putting these labels on people because it's not facts, right? Um, and we have to tear down this false framework that the enemy has used, right? And is using to destroy this generation. Proverbs 18 and 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it and indulge in it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words, right? That's the Amplify version. The message version says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose, right? So what happens to the little boy or the little girl who doesn't fit into the traditional mold, right, that society has set and has been told that she is gay before she has had a chance to fully form and understand her gender or what has happened to the same, the same for a little boy, right? And if they do like things that don't fit the emotional or societal expectations that associate with their gender, what happens when they are met with confusion um, the confusion of identity development, right? Which takes place when they enter adolescence, right? So during adolescence, right? There is a heightened sense of self-awareness that begins to take place. And children begin to seek belonging, right? Like socially among their peers, they want to belong, right? And they want to further establish their identity during this stage. But what if they have been hearing you act like a girl, she thinks she a boy up until this point? What happens, right? Now they have this confusing mess messaging going on and now they have to decide which gender do I closely align with, right? And because there are only two options, I'm going to keep saying that, they end up rejecting their gender assigned at birth, right? Because the box society has drawn is just way too small. And so I'm going to totally reject the gender I am biologically so that I can make sense of this discrepancy that I feel, right? Then there are those who can identify with both genders, right? Rather than just be labeled, right? They say I'm gender non-conforming or I'm non-binary, right? Um, because they want to truly just express the entirety of their humanity, right? So rather than say I'm trans and I identify with the other, right? They don't want to be put in any box. So they say I'm non-binary, I'm gender non-conforming. I don't agree with none of this. I'm just me, basically, right? I'm this and that. So the words and reactions from adults and other persons of influence, right, can now cause a child to believe that they are now in the wrong body, right, when they are really just human, right? That's the whole point of this, right? And these faulty social constructs, right, don't define what it is to be male or female, right? Now, there is another class of people that I would like to discuss right, while having this conversation about identity formation. Um, and, you know, parents, I really, really want you to pay special attention to this section um, because there are some children who were fitting into the social constructs, right? right? They just fit what it was to be female or male, right? And then one day it looked like they just flipped out of nowhere, right? And it's like, where did this come from, right? This leads to a very uncomfortable um, topic, but very necessary, and that's sexual abuse, right? According to the website of Victims of Crime, one in five girls and one in 20 boys are sexually abused, right? Now, for many parents, you may not even know this is happening, right? It can happen. It can go under the radar, right? But that doesn't affect, um, that doesn't stop the effects, right? So children who are being abused, right, they deal with emotional, behavioral, and identity struggles, right? And this is a time, like I said earlier, where identity formation is taking place. So what happens to a child who is subjected to this type of abuse, sexual abuse, right? What is being communicated to that child? Because there are so many mixed messages going on, right? And the body, they, they're, you know, it's being communicated that the body is meant for sex, that they may be just a sex object, right? And then what also happens if it was done by the same sex, right? And it awakens 
pleasure sense um sensors in their genitalia right or what happens when it was the opposite sex right but the encounter was repulsive right this child is now left to wrestle with questions that they were not meant to deal with during this time right like you know that felt good and i'm a girl and she was a girl like does that mean i'm gay now or does that mean i'm gay now if i'm a boy and a boy touched me and i liked it right or what happened when the opposite sex touches them in the the, the um stench of the testosterone can't the girl can't get it out of her nose or that the boy can't just finish smelling them female pheromones and it's like oh i just don't want to experience that ever again right um and so what happens to these children who endure these experiences right now there are parents who do know that this is happening right and because this is a difficult topic they just won't address it right and i understand that as a parent it can be too painful to deal with right so they may just remove the threat right but they won't take the child to therapy right maybe out of embarrassment right maybe feeling like you know what did i do that allowed my child to be put in a position for this to happen they don't want to face those questions right or some believe that the threat was removed right and so there is no longer a problem right not realizing the future implications in the life of that child right and so i must say that even if it was another child please don't assume oh they were just being kids they were exploring right and believe that it won't have an impact on that child and their future um and later decisions in life right all of this is cap right you have to if your child has been sexually abused molested raped penetrated with an object exposure to porn any type of sexual abuse right your child needs to get therapy you and that baby need to go to therapy therapy and don't be afraid to talk about it right remember children take on social cues from parents right so if you don't address it right and they are having different feelings they will suppress them because you haven't addressed it right and what you have done is communicated non-verbally that this is something that we are not going to talk about right even if that's something that like i said they're struggling with now within the lgbt community right many um of them will not address the correlation between um any sexual abuse they endured right as a child in their current gender identity and sexual preference right but through many years of hearing different stories and accounts of what happened right there is indeed a correlation right and struggling with sexuality is not always going to be the byproduct of sexual abuse right sometimes people who are sexually abused become hypersexual right and they maintain their um heterosexual identity however they have unhealthy addiction to sex right or unhealthy relationship with sex and the reason why this must be addressed is because sexual abuse um has further implications on identity formation and sexual preference period right however many want to separate the two right and people don't want to acknowledge um that this incident is the root of where i have formed my current identity right because that means that my current identity or preference was, was birthed from an experience that was wrong right and so thus making my current gender preference sexual identity sexual preference wrong as well right if it was birthed out of that situation right and remember we talked about roots and fruits on a, a recent episode because it's always a connection there right and please hear me i understand how painful it is to deal with right in fact it wasn't until i was a full-grown adult i mean like just a few years ago that god began to expose these truths to me so i'm not making light of it at all right but that doesn't make of it make any of it less true right Something I have also heard so often um, from members of the LGBTQ lifestyle is that they try to pray and fight these feelings, right? Um, before fully like just embracing them and just going all in, right? And I believe one reason why many um, LGBTQ individuals go through this stage of trying to fight their same-sex attraction 
is not because of the heteronormative gender um, stereotypes that exist, right? That's like an easy scapegoat. However, I do believe it's because they inherently know something is not right about how they feel, right? Something innately is saying, I shouldn't feel this way, right? And it's not because someone told them that it was wrong or it is wrong because most often no one knows they are struggling with these feelings, right? This is usually before they come out. They are trying to stop and pray the way of their own volition, right? So where does their desire to reject this come from if it's natural or this is who they are, right? No, because they have an innate knowing that something is just not right about how I feel, right? Growing up, right, personally, nobody had to tell me to like boys and nobody distinctly told me not to like girls, right? So where do we just get this natural understanding that we should like the opposite sex? Where does that come from if nobody is telling us this, right? God created us both male and female, right? And our identity is connected to our God-given purpose, right? And God put us in the body that will align best for the purpose for which he sent us here to complete, right? And so that's how we have this innate knowing that something is wrong when we feel opposite of that, right? And then we do have an adversary. And I think that in today's context, he gets very much overlooked, but we do indeed have an adversary. And he desperately wants to keep us from knowing our identity, right? So we can never step into the true purpose that we were sent here to fulfill, right? But the more people who know their true God-given identity and purpose, the more the uh, kingdom of the enemy is torn down and destroyed, right? Because more people are working on what God sent them here to do now, right? I'm not going, what I'm about to say, some Christians, you're here going to be spending a little bit, but it's the truth, right? The enemy, the devil, he does not necessarily care if a person is homosexual or heterosexual. He don't care, right? As long as you don't know your identity and you stay out of purpose. He don't care who you freaking on, okay? Come on, on Kurt. He don't care who you humping on, right? As long as you stay out of purpose, right? So if you're heterosexual and you sleep with everything moving, he doesn't care, right? He just wants you to be ruled by your flesh, right? If you're a man and you're constantly on the prowl trying to take down your next woman or the next person, right? That's all he cares about. Just don't establish a healthy relationship and never become the head of a godly household. Be ruled by your flesh. Let your little Johnson tell you what to do, right? And if you're an independent woman who has achieved wealth and popularity, right? And you own your sexuality and you're posting images on um, images and videos of yourself busting it open on the gram or OnlyFans or whatever, you know, social media platform you choose. He does not care, right? He just doesn't want you to know that you're the righteousness of God. He just doesn't want you to know that your body was meant to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? Please never know that, right? Please never know that you were made in the spiritual personality and moral likeness of God. That's his real agenda, right? So how does the enemy launch his attack, right? He has many different tricks, right? And we have already shared some of them, right? Attacking masculinity, using authority figures to speak lies and confusion over identity, sexual perversion um, via molestation, rape, pornography, or whatever, right? And he loves to start young, right? For most people, right? Because at an early age, right? We talked about this. Our identity formation is taking place and it's influenced by culture and a child, adult child interactions, right? So he's using the word spoken over us and he's depending heavily on gendered norms, right? So that I'll get authority figures to speak confusion over this child because they aren't fitting the mold of what is to be a boy or a girl. So I'll just get them to speak um, identity confusion over them. And then in some cases, I'm going to use um, a child being sexually abused, right? Because then that'll cause them to question themselves from within, from an early age, right? And they'll their earliest cognition will be, I've always felt this way. I've always had these questions, right? Um, and so I'll also leave women around them who have 
issues with masculinity, right? And then who also tend to praise effeminate men. And so sons grow up confused, right? Because, well, my mom, she talks bad about men. I hear her bashing men, but she has she's okay with these these gay guys or these effeminate guys, right? And that just brings in a whole nother set of confusion, right? And the real reason that the enemy chooses gender and specifically sexuality is because it provides the easiest access to your soul and your spirit, right? He chooses childhood because of your lack of self-awareness, right? To know when a shift has taken place in your soul, right? Because your identity has been established in the heavenly realm, right? But in the earth, it's still being formed. And so, because the human will is so strong and an independent force, the enemy knows that you have the ability to choose, right? God decided something about you, but you're, you have the human will to go against it, right? That's what the whole garden story was about, to see if people will use their human will to choose against the instruction of God, or who were going to agree with God or not. In Jeremiah 1.5, right, God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations, right? So if God is saying, I knew you, wait, who did he know if he formed before he formed him? Who did God know, right? He knew the spirit of Jeremiah, right? So in our simplest form, we are spirits, right? And we've been given bodies, right? And being granted authority to rule in this realm and these bodies, right? And we're meant to execute the will of the Father. That's the whole plan. And encapsulated in our spirits is the purpose and identity, right? Um, which includes our temperament, right? And our temperament is comprised of our personality, our dispositions, and our tendencies, right? Now, in the psychosocial um, model of development, right, the temperament is made up of nine different dimensions, right? Which include activity level, biological rhythms, approach and withdrawal, our mood, our intensity to reaction, sensitivity, um, adaptability, distractibility and persistence, right? So when God says he knew Jeremiah, he's saying, I knew your activity level. He's saying, I knew your biological rhythms and your approach and withdrawal. I knew your mood. I knew your intensity of, of reaction. I knew your sensitivity. I knew your adaptability. I knew your distractibility and I knew your persistence. And based off of that, I appointed you to the nations, right? So what did God know about your temperament, right? What did God know about your personality and your dispositions and tendencies that he formed you into a male or female and he gave you the purpose that he did, right? So if you are a man and you're a little bit more in tune with your emotions, that was on purpose, right? And that was meant to serve the purpose for which God sent you here, right? To complete. You needed that, right? In Matthew 9.36, right? Jesus saw um, a crowd of people who had gathered and who were um, dispirited and distressed, right? And it says that he was moved, right, with compassion and pity for them, right? Like he felt bad for them, right? And then in Mark um, 140 and 41 is the man, a man with leprosy comes to Jesus and he says, are you willing that you can heal me? Right. And again, it says that Jesus was moved with compassion for this man suffering. Right. And because, um, during that time, leprosy, if you had that, you were an outcast, right? Like you could not be around anybody. You had to live in the outskirts. You were removed from relationship with others, right? So, you know, seeing this, he's moved with compassion, right? Now, compassion is usually more of a feminine trait, right? Um, but it shows us that Jesus was moved to um, compassion and act on behalf of others, right? And so if you're a more assertive female, right, maybe it's because God wants to use you and your voice to speak up on behalf of social ills in society, right? Because sometimes, you know, if we benefit from a thing, right, we don't necessarily see the negative implications that it has for others, right? Like, if it's benefiting us in some way, we might overlook the negative parts to it, right? So there could be males in your life who are unaware of certain issues simply because of the function that it has allowed for them, right? It's a benefit for them, so they might not see it. So God has moved you 
to have a voice and speak on that behalf. In Numbers, right, there are five daughters who request from Moses to receive the portion of land that their father would have received had he not died, right? Or that would have been given to his sons, right? Um, their inheritance. But he had no sons. So they request this of Moses, right? Their assertiveness in that time definitely could have been seen as a form of disrespect, right? But Moses, it says, consults to God and God said, give them their portion, right? So assertiveness is not a, a bad thing, right? And so my point in sharing these two examples about women being assertive or a man being compassionate is that temperaments and dispositions are universal, right? And preferences are just that, right? They are things that you prefer, but they don't define your identity, right? Um, and so for those who feel like, you know, Kendra, I've always felt this way. Like Psalms 51, one says, I was born in sin and shaping in iniquity, right? And what this means is that we are inclined toward our sin nature from birth, right? So many of us, right? The enemy, he attacked us, like I said, as young as possible, right? And there's a, um, a parable, right? That I believe will help me explain why. So in Matthew 13, 24 through 30, right? Jesus um, gave them another parable to consider saying the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, right? But while his men were sleeping, right? It says his enemy came in and sowed weeds resembling the wheat, right? Among the wheat, right? And went, and went away, right? And it says when the plant sprouted up and formed the grain, the weeds appeared also, right? And the servants of the owner, they came to him and they're like, sir, like, did you not sow good seed? Like, I know we sold it, right? Um, And so it says... So how then have you gotten weeds, right? And they replied, he said, my enemy, he replied to them and said, my enemy has done this. So his servant said, well, do you want us to go and pluck them up? Do you want us to pull out the weeds? And he said, no, because if you pull out the weeds, right, you may uproot the wheat with them, right? And so let them grow together, right? This is what the owner of the field says. He said, let them grow together until harvest. And at harvest time, I will have the reapers, right? And they will gather up the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, right? He said, but gather the wheat into my barn, right? And so for the sake of this podcast, right? We are the good seeds that God sold, right, into, into the earth, right? He sold good seed into the earth realm, right? And in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our spiritual image and moral personality, amplified version, right? And they will have complete authority over the entire earth and all the animals, sea, land, and air. And they are to put everything under their power and to rule over all these things, right? So the enemy decides... I need to snatch their power from them. How can I do that, right? Remember we said the garden story was all about getting us to question God's instructions, right? Because we have been sent here with a purpose, right? And our identity and our bodies align with that purpose, right? And so there's nothing fluid about who God created you and I to be, right? or what he wanted us to fulfill in the earth, right? He was very intentional about it and everything that was to exist was supposed to be subject to the authority that he gave us, right? And so the enemy was like, nah, I can't let them be walking around with all this power and authority, right? And so if we go back to the parable, right? The enemy says, how can I stop them from realizing their true identity and purpose? right? Like that's his goal now, right? I have to sow some weeds, right? That resemble them just enough that by the time they get to the stage of development where self-awareness, right? And they at a lesson stage where self-awareness is heightened, they will be so confused because the things will have been with them so long, they won't be able to deny it. They won't be able to separate the two, right? So he causes parents and authority figures, right, to use their words negligently to sow seeds about your identity, right, and how you don't fit the expectation for your gender, right, and he allows 
that person to molest or rape and expose you to sexual things that you just were simply not ready to engage in or process correctly, right? So that the whole time your identity is being formed, right? You're questioning, dang, my mom said I act like a girl. Uncle Lulu said, I think I'm a boy, right? This one touched me and I liked it. This one forced themselves on me and I hated it, right? And you're left to contend with all these th thoughts and questions, right? And now you're wrestling with something that God already decided about you, right? Remember, I told y'all sexuality was not something to be explored. And remember the man in the story. He planted good seed. So if God made you male, he meant that. If God made you female, he fully intended that for your life, right? It was not an accident. It wasn't by chance. He did not make a mistake, right? And say, oh, let me just put them in the wrong body. No, but you do have an enemy, like I said, that never wants you to discover the good seed that God planted. He never wants you to see... um what God put in you. He never wants you to realize who God created you to be so that you never fulfill the purpose that God sent you here to fulfill, right? Now, some of you may have cried and prayed and asked God to heal you, right? Like, if this is not how I'm supposed to be, like, and it seems like God was quiet, right? Like, you prayed and God didn't deliver you, right? And you grew weary of trying to fight those feelings, right? Because it just felt like too much. Um, and you just began to accept the weeds as wheat because the weed resembles the wheat, right? That was a part of the story. Um, and enough to the untrained eye that you would think they are the, the same thing, right? It's confusing. But like in the parable, right, the workers, right, those with the trained eyes, they saw it and they wanted to uproot the weeds, right, when they first discovered it. And that's you as a child praying or a young adult trying to figure this out. And God is like, don't remove it yet, right? Because um, just because it didn't belong, God knew that if he uprooted it too soon, right, that you would not discover the true deliverance that you needed, right? But like in the parable, right, the workers ask, should we uproot, um, uproot these weeds, right, when they first discovered them? Because to the trained eye, they knew those weeds, just because they looked like we weren't the same, right? And they're asking God to remove it because they knew it didn't belong, right? But God said, not yet, because you may uproot the wheat. That was his reasoning, right? Let them grow together, right? Until harvest time, and I will tell the reapers to first gather the weeds up, right? And tie them in bundles to be burned, right? But gather the wheat into my barn, right? God didn't just take that weed away because if he did it before harvest, it could have damaged another area, right? And you could say, well, how, right? And in this context, if he would have taken the same-sex attraction or gender identity stuff away um, without you being mature enough to understand where it came from, you would just indulge in something else, right? You would feed some other part of your flesh, right? That you may deem not as bad as that, right? And then you would never seek him out for deliverance for those things, right? If he allowed it to stay. But harvest time, right? It represents full maturity, right? Where you are now mature enough to gather the weeds of your life and throw them into the all-consuming fire, right? Which is our God, right? So in Deuteronomy 4.24, it says, For the Lord, um, your God is a consuming fire and he is jealous and passionate, right? A God demanding what is rightfully and uniquely his, right? And that's you, not the weeds, right? That are sown along the way, right? And last week, right, I talked about uh, surrender. And the reason being is that a lot of us, we want God to take our weeds. And God is like, you can come and when you bring the weeds, they will be burned, right? Like, because that anything that's unholy can't stay here. My fire is a refining fire, right? And if you come close to God with those weeds, they will be burnt because everything is going to come out like pure gold. Hebrews 12, 25 20, um, through 29 says, See to it that you do not refuse to listen to him who is speaking to you now. For if those uh, sons of Israel did not escape 
when they refused to listen to him who warned them on earth, revealing God's will, how much um, less will we escape if we turn our backs on him who warns from heaven? His voice shook the earth at Mount Zion then, but now he has given a promise saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the starry heaven. Now, this expression, yet once more, indicates that the removal and final transformation of the, of all those things which can be shaken, that is, um, of that which has been created, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain, right? Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude and offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is indeed a consuming fire, right? And then in Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, um, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship, right? So regardless of how you formed your identity, right, you have to come to the understanding that even if you didn't align with all the other girls, right, and you didn't want to jump double dutch, or if you were a boy, but you weren't the most athletic boy, and you were more artistic and in touch with your emotional side, or if you were a more rough girl and a little bit more brazen than the other girls, right, or if somebody violated you, right, and confused you about your identity, right, whether they led to a same-sex relationship or being hypersexual in a heterosexual relationship. And let me just say this sidebar real quick. Some hypersexuality um, is developed from insecurity, right, to show that although I was violated by the same sex, I'm not um, gay, right? But regardless of what it is, right, God has not changed his mind about you. He knew your personality, he knew your tendencies, and he knew your dispositions before you got here. And it was all intentional. He didn't want you to fit in with society's mold of a man or a woman, right? He wanted you to fit in with the mold he created you to be, right? So what can be shaken, right? That's every weed that was sown or picked up this side of heaven, right? Um, every idea or act that introduced you um, to things that weren't the will of God for your life, right? The writer of Hebrews says, let us show gratitude and offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence, right? And all, right? And then Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy to God, which is your rational, right? Act of worship, right? So now that God has begun to reveal this to us, right, today, he doesn't say that our desires will leave immediately all the time, right? Even though God has the ability to remove those desires completely from us, right? But even if he doesn't, that's where the sacrifice part comes into play, right? To sacrifice a thing is to slaughter it, right? So if I'm going to be successful and slaughtering something, right? I must cut off any and everything that contributes to its life source, right? Which means if certain shows, music, people, environments, right? If they contribute to me wanting to do or behave in a certain way that I know is not the will of God for my life, I have to consider God good and big enough to slaughter my connection to those things, right? Because it's a sacrifice. It's a not supposed to be easy and it's not supposed to feel good, right? For so many, right? You have since welcomed in many other spirits and addictions, right? Some of which were to cope with the ache of what happened to you, right? And you will need to pray and, and fast and get deliverance, but God is faithful to deliver you, right? 
So yes, to sum this all up, right? To be human is to be fluid, right? To go with the ebbs and flows of what it is to exist in this world, right? You won't fit into a specific man-made expectation all the time, right? Of what it means to be a male or a female. But God thought you were the perfect version of a male or a female because he decided that about you, right? Knowing your personality, right? Knowing your dispositions, knowing your tendencies and your temperaments, he thought that you were the perfect male or the perfect female, right? And I say this all from a place of understanding and compassion, right? I know what it is to have people feeling on you unwanted. I know what it is to have men force themselves on you to the point that you just surrender, right? Because you don't want to feel taken advantage of and you can't get out of the situation, right? I know what it is to be confused about sex and sexuality. I know what it is to be in bondage to a man um, who won't claim you but is willing to take possession of your body, right? I know what it is to try to use um, what the enemy told me was of value and would gain the love and acceptance that I desired, right? Um, and God has been so kind and patient and compassionate with me through all of it, right? Um, and so no matter how ugly things got, he still loved me. No matter how dirty I felt, he still loved me. No matter how much of a failure sometimes I felt like, right? Um, because I was being led by something that I often despise. He still loved me, right? So I don't know where you are in this journey. I don't know how committed you have become to live sexually liberated or fluid in your gender and sexuality, right? Or if you've decided that you're gonna, you know, own your sexuality by giving it to any and everybody, right? You, um, but none of this is the will of God for your life. I can tell you that, right? And for one, um, you are more than the genitalia between your legs, right? We have to stress that. Um, and you are the very purpose of God in the earth, right? You're being male and female. That's just part of you being able to fulfill some other commands that God gave us, right? Like to be fruitful and multiply. Um, but I have gone way too long with this. So I'm going to stop here and we'll pick up next week. But I love you guys. And I can't wait to talk to you. Um, please share this video so that we can have a conversation about this. Um, because, like I said, gender is not fluid. However, um, being human is, right? And we do need to leave room and space for people to grow and experience all of what it means to be human um, in whatever gender God decided for us. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next time. Yeah.